This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to a Business Radio special focusing on Black Friday. Here again are Barbara Kahn and Dave Reebstein. Hello and welcome back. I'm Barbara Kahn. I'm a professor of marketing here at the Wharton School. And here with me is my co-host and fellow marketing professor, David Reebstein. I'm glad to be here. It's been a lot of fun being on the show with you. That's really been fun. And you're listening to Business Radio's Black Friday special here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. And our next guest is Sucharita Kodali, who's the vice president, principal analyst serving e-business and channel strategy professionals at Forrester Research. And as far as I'm concerned, the retail guru. Hello, Sucharita. Welcome back. Oh, thank you, Barbara. You are too kind. It's great to be here. So you have tons of perspectives, I imagine, on e-commerce, on Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Uh, Let's start with what you think are the most important trends that you're observing. Well, um, this year online, at least, should definitely be another strong year. Um, Cyber Monday has been the single biggest um, online shopping day of the year in the United States. Um, we have to recall that in um, in China. How does it compare to that single day? It, can, it can't be anywhere tiny. close. can't be anywhere close. That was over $30 billion. Exactly. Nowhere close. Um, yeah, so Cyber Monday will be a few billion dollars, which is uh, is nothing shabby. Um, but it's it's definitely not near the 30 billion that um, that Singles Day was. Uh, but for the U.S. and for e-commerce retailers, it's a huge day, and um, it will. It's been a big day probably for about seven or eight years now. Um, and the good news is is that even offline retailers are expecting a pretty strong holiday season. Um, a lot of like the department stores, even last year, had a good holiday season, and there doesn't seem to be really anything that is slowing the momentum down. The economy is doing well. The Employment rate is low. Consumer confidence is high. All of this bodes, um, you know, this this really suggests that we'll have a good um, Q4 2018. Well, we were just talking to Mall of America and Best Buy and Kohl's, really big retailers who are gearing up, and they seem to be very bullish on the physical store uh, and really thought that they would not see any diminishing or lessening of the traffic coming into the physical store. Do you think they're right? Um, I think that this year um, I expect that it should be pretty good. Um, I don't know that we're going to see significant growth, um, but this is one of those years that I think that we won't see a decline. And in the world of retail, not seeing a decline yeah, okay. in the physical stores is a New good way thing. of winning, right. yeah. <laughs> so how much of total sales, to give us some sense of total sales that happened for a retailer, how much of it happened in that holiday season shopping, sort of, between November 1st and January 1st, how, what's the total percent of sales that happened during that period? Um, it is not uncommon for um, for retailers to see 30% of their sales to happen in those two months. So that's, of course, a disproportionate amount. Um, but it is also important to call out there are some highly seasonal retailers that can see up to 50% of their sales coming during that time frame. Those could be toy retailers or others that um, may have just really, really seasonal um, uh, proclivities, like their Christmas tree stores or yeah, right. Right. You know, holiday decor stores. <laughs> yeah. Or the Halloween store, I'm yeah. sure, has, has some seasonal so, sales. You know, oh, yeah. you mentioned toys. Uh, with Toys R Us going out, Amazon sending out a, a catalog for toys. How important is toys, uh, either as a traffic driver or overall sales, to this whole season? 
Um, you know, it's interesting. I think that historically it's always been, um, it's, it's more, I think, of a cultural um, thing because we associate Christmas with children and buying gifts for children. And because of that, toys are very, very highly associated with the holiday shopping season. But when you look at the categories, um, toys actually aren't in um, the top three. It's like clothing, really? you have consumer electronics, you'll have, uh, well, I guess you'd have things like video games, which maybe some people could consider toys, but um, they're, ten, you know, they're mobile phones. Um, the, there are other types of products that tend to be more popular during the holiday season than toys. Um, the toy industry is, is relatively small compared to um, the overall, um, you know, overall consumer spend. So, it's, I, so, so I think that it's, it's more the, um, the signal that it sends that, you know, that we are a destination for the holidays. And what I see is Amazon has just announced, you know, you don't even have to be a Prime member to get free shipping. And mm -hmm. so um, I'm wondering if that's going to cut even more into the retail stores because you're going to get free shipping, you know, for everybody that buys on Amazon. Do you think that's going to have much of an impact? Um, well, and it's interesting that you say that, Dave, because um, Target also offered um, free shipping no threshold for right. its holiday um, transactions as well. Um, so I think that we're having a bit of, um, you know, an arms race of companies, you know, desperate to get the shoppers online dollar. Um, but I think that what you end up with is two fundamentally different segments of customers. You have the online shopper and you have the offline shopper. And um, the consumer who's shopping online really, really is about convenience and about selection, and that is a shopper that chooses the e-commerce channel because um, they prefer that e-channel, e-commerce channel. I mean, and usually this is a shopper that's been shopping online for some time, and they're going to benefit because they have this no-threshold shopping, so they'll be able to purchase more for, for less. Um, and this is not a consumer that I think would have opted to shop online anyway, or shop, uh, sorry, shop in physical stores, um, whereas the physical store shopper is more somebody who wants the experience and they um, enjoy going to the store and um, seeing, you know, kids lining up for photos with Santa and seeing, um, you, you know, the tinsel on the Christmas trees in the shopping mall. And that's just a different type of shopper who's looking for a different experience. Um, and I think that, that the online no threshold isn't going to necessarily persuade that person to not shop in the store and, you know, by contrast, um, be, you know, the, the free threshold shipping is just going to, you know, probably cause them to break, the online shopper to break up their transactions into smaller and smaller chunks. Well, that's interesting because you sort of described it as two different types of shoppers that are out there. And when we had Marissa uh, Tarleton on from uh, Retail Me Not, she was sort of talking about how, you know, not only do we have the omni-channel, we have the omni-consumer. That is shopping at you know at both simultaneously. Actually, uh, are you not seeing that? Because I hear you describe these as two different populations. Well, um, I mean, certainly when consumers are shopping in physical stores, a lot of them will have their mobile devices with them, and um, some of them may choose to do some comparison price shopping, or they may have coupons on their mobile devices that they've brought with them. Um, and likewise, um, there are consumers who may shop online who um, have absolutely, um, you know, kind of leveraged the physical store to discover some of the products that they ultimately choose to purchase online 
some point in time. Um, so, so there's no question there's that fluidity. Uh, but I think what I'm, I'm describing is more um, ultimately um, there's only one place that you choose to purchase any given transaction, and, um, and there are reasons that are very specific to why a consumer may choose to ultimately purchase transactions in a physical store versus online. So we're seeing a lot of these people that are trying to compete with Amazon go into more and more different categories. So, for example, Walmart, you know, always had grocery, but now they're going into uh, groceries, as you know, historically a low margin category, and they're going into some other higher margins so that when you go to Walmart, you just buy everything there. And certainly Amazon's been the everything store. Earlier we heard Best Buy was starting to sell way more categories than just um just electronics. So do you think, just have you seen a trend that people are going like to Kohl's for all their shopping or to Amazon for the shopping or Walmart rather than to the malls? Um, because most of those stores I just mentioned are standalone. And, and that's Costco, a, through a Costco. And Costco or something mm-hmm. like that, where they're competing. They're very much competing head-to-head in many, many, many different categories. You know, Walmart's bringing in high-end apparel and brand names and stuff like that in a way they never did before. So is that a fundamental change in shopping, going into these kind of hypermarkets rather than to the mall? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because probably the three retailers that have gained the most share in the last, um, you know, couple of decades have been Amazon, Walmart, and Costco. And um, they have just gradually um, expanded the tentacles of their reach to more categories and, um, you know, kind of more more types of things that, that they've all sold. Um, and there's no question that it's come at the expense of other stores because retail has been growing slower than those individual retailers have grown. So they've absolutely cannibalized others. And uh, the biggest culprits of who they've cannibalized are the department stores and big box stores. Um, now, Best Buy has been pretty strong, and they have, um, they've they've had their ups and downs. Um, they seem to be doing okay at this moment in time. And they've also had some, some um, you know, kind of wind behind them, you know, as some of their competitors have gone out of business. Um, but, you know, some of those other casualties, whether it's an H.H. Gregg or a Circuit City or, um, you know, Toys R Us or, you know, some of the office supply stores or, you know, Radio Shack or some of these other specialty stores, not to mention like Sears, JCPenney, um, these guys have all lost share to the, uh, the these hypermarkets that, um, you know, are basically um, one-stop shops that have broad assortments of just about anything you could possibly want to buy. So yeah. what I, oh, so what I was... It's part of it's part of what it is that drove Toys R Us out of business. Yeah, too. let me just you know what you're saying. I just want to finish this thought because I was thinking it when she was talking about Mall of America that you are seeing if you want to do efficient shopping, then Walmart or Amazon that's pretty efficient. But if you want to have fun, you might go to Mall of America and go right. see that Elf hologram, or go to augmented reality, or go to the malls where there's more restaurants and theaters and stuff like that. So I think you're seeing. I wonder if you think this that you're seeing like. Some people go to physical stores not just to purchase, but really because they want an entertainment experience as well as to touch and feel. But then if they want efficiency, they either, either, like you were saying, there's shoppers who only shop online or maybe there's people who just go to Walmart or Costco and just get it over with right away. Um, do, you see, do you see that kind of segmentation in the, or bifurcation in the, in the market? 
Yeah, there is no question, especially for the malls. Um, they are definitely becoming more experiential destinations. They, uh, I mean, the truth is, is that something like only 20% of the top, of all the malls in the U.S., they generate um, something like three quarters of mall sales. So, and those are often, um, they're the great malls. There are malls like, um, you know, the Grove in Southern California or Short Hills Mall in New Jersey. Um, they're just great destinations that, um, that attract consumers because they're fun places right. to go um you know they're and they're free right i mean you can walk around i mean you, you can pay for stuff but you can walk around it's not like there's it's not right. like disneyland where you have to pay three hundred dollars to to just even enter the place yeah the and mall of america woman told the 70 percent retail 30 percent entertainment something right. like that yeah right. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that's absolutely um, the case with the malls. Now, interestingly, I mean, the one sector where I would say the store is arguably um, more efficient is uh, is probably the grocery sector um, because grocery stores are so ubiquitous and there are a lot of consumers that just want things immediately from their grocery store versus waiting even a few hours for same-day delivery of, of grocery orders. But that's the one category that's the exception. But you even see in grocery, you know, more restaurants, like Whole Foods, they have more restaurants there, or Italy, that kind of notion, that there's some uh, experience going on even in the grocery store, which you would think would be the most functional purchase of all. Yeah, yeah. And what you raise, Barbara, is a good point about um, the restaurant industry, because that is one sector within retail spend, which has just had runaway growth in the last, say, 30 years. Well, I'm um, sure I'm doing it myself. I eat out three <laughs> meals a day. <laughs> I do four. Okay, so. <laughs> but so we're, that, that really is a lot of growth. A lot of people are following suit, and they're all eating out. But but that's, a, that's one category that we're not seeing the whole holiday season bump. You know, it's not like people we eat out that much more during the holidays, right? And so, right, right. so, and we don't have Black Friday that applies yeah, to, cool. <laughs> to, to the restaurants, you know, that, that's happening. You know, what I'm real curious about is both of you have been talking about fun and entertainment that's at the malls, and that's part of the reason people go there. Is there as much of that during the, um, Black Friday? Because it sort of is like there's a cluster of people, and, and some people, it, it's, you know, it's a survival. It's not fun. <laughs> Um, well, there have been some demographic studies on the Black Friday deal buster shopper, and it is a different demographic than your average shopper. Um, it tends to be a shopper that is extremely value conscious, often is lower income. Um, they um, are a consumer that fundamentally, I think, values um, money more than time um, and is a consumer that just um, finds sport in waking up at 3 a.m. and, you know, getting bundled up. Up and waiting outside their favorite store for several hours to try to get their hands on um, whatever the deal is at that store that day. Um, and so there's bragging. There's bragging rights with that too. Hey, guess what? <laughs> I got this. Yeah, this transaction yeah. utility. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, right. Now, the one thing that's interesting, though, is that a lot of e-commerce, um, the, the, this is what's, um, a lot of the e-com divisions of these retailers have essentially cannibalized their Black Friday store sales because they basically offer a lot of the same offers um, earlier. So for those consumers who just want the deal, um, you can often just shop online, um, sometimes on Thanksgiving Day, um, and get the yeah. same deals so and what's avoid the, what's the, whole the idea line. there, just to be that the competition? 
Um, the idea, yeah, is I think this goes to some of the, uh, the dysfunctional siloed org structures of a lot of these organizations. And um, it's usually that e-com is incented to grow its own sales <laughs> because they have access to, you know, the sales. They're going to launch it earlier so they can drive, you know, their comps up. You know, to the day's point about it being sport, I remember the time that, like, people were getting hurt in, I think, was at Walmart or something, when they were trampling each other. You say the time. I think that's every year <laughs> on Black Friday, right? Yeah. There's somebody yeah, so who's there's getting like, hurt. Yeah, so there's, like, their security. There's, like, training to figure out how to deal with uh, people who are just too into the deal. Right, right. I think this year Walmart's having like um, tea parties, though. Um, so they may that may hopefully try to make it a oh, little make more it more civil. civil. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah value the cups because they're not going to go uh, very long. So I have I I want to go back to where you started this conversation, where you mentioned Alibaba and what it is they've done. How soon is it before Alibaba enters the fray here, and we start seeing Alibaba doing Black Friday in the United States? Well, they've tried. Um, they had uh, an experience at what I think it was 121 Maine um, year a few years ago. They've made a few investments here and there. Um, I think that Alibaba has. Um, it, it seems to me that they've decided they have their hands full with even just um, continuing to grow in the Chinese e-commerce market. Um, the most um, of their effort globally for cross-border has been with um, solutions like AliExpress which are basically bringing Chinese sellers to other markets. Um, that, I think, is actually going to become harder because um, you may have followed this whole um, e-packet um, Donald Trump um, clampdown on... No, um, what is that? Um, so it's basically, uh, there was, so the United Nations has a, I think it's called the Universal Postal Union, um, where there were um, just basically deals that different countries had for cross-border commerce to enable them to ship um, packages to other countries um, to encourage basically the economies of some of these developing countries. China was considered a developing country for a long time and basically had rates that allowed Chinese um, basically shippers to send packages to the United States um, for cheaper than what even U.S. shippers in the United States really? send packages yeah. for, yes. So you, that's why you can often order products on Amazon for really, really cheap, get them directly shipped to you from China, eBay as well. Wow. Um, there's a company called Wish.com that has essentially made its entire business based on the, this type of e-packet shipping um, bonuses. So anyway, this is done. This is over because um, the Trump administration has basically said no mas and um, has, has, has or will be eliminating um, these e-packet um, benefits. And it's basically they pulled the United States, I think, out of the Universal um, Postal Union agreements altogether. And I, there will be like another 18 months of probably negotiating to figure out, um, you know, kind of what the Chinese rates are going to be. But, um, but anyway, getting back to Alibaba, Alibaba benefited, of course, from, AliExpress was able to benefit from this. It probably won't in the future. Um, and I, I think that the question becomes, where are their best markets for um, Alibaba? 
Alibaba to grow globally? Is it markets like Latin America, which have much less developed retail economies versus the United States, which has a really mature retail economy and um, doesn't really tolerate a lot of subpar product, which is unfortunately a a lot of what you see coming out of the Chinese market. So um, we understand you wrote a new book called Toys Are Bus, Lessons from the Collapse. So so what's the thesis of that book? Well, it was, um, or it is, uh, basically my um, my summary of what happened um, to the company. Um, I had spent some time there um, many years ago um, as a merchant and as a store operator. Um, so combined um, uh, my memoir account of it and what what I experienced um, on the the ground floor of um, you, you know kind of working in a physical store, working in the merchandising organization and um, how a number of the things that I saw happen actually um, were likely factors that led to the ultimate demise of the company. Oh, that sounds like a very interesting book. So it's called called Toys Are Bus Lessons from the Collapse of a Retail Icon, and it just recently came out. Yes. Wow, congratulations. What a positive note to end the interview (laughs) with. But I think think we're in for a great Black Black Friday, and it sounds like things are going very, very well. So thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you, Barbara and Dave. Appreciate your time today. And if you want to find more about uh, Shucharita, you can do so at Forrester.com. You can also follow her on Twitter at S-M-U-L-P-U. That's P as in Peter, U-R-U. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.